So thanks everyone for uh, tuning into uh, another episode as part of our podiatry systems and cause health series. Uh, we've covered a lot of theory up to now, but what we wanted to do is get a bunch of clinicians in, uh, people involved with the cause health project who are also primarily uh, clinicians uh, in the allied health and, and more specifically in the musculoskeletal field to really come in and talk about how cause health uh, impacts their clinical practice, how it's improved their clinical practice, and really help uh, provide a bit of a guide uh, to how we can actually then start to use these lessons. Because I think learning all this theory is is great, um, but uh, and it can be very interesting, but it has to be um, you know applicable to clinic and make positive changes. Uh, and I know um, it's made amazing sort of changes in my clinical practice, uh, but everyone knows I'm a I'm a big cheerleader for it. Um, so I thought I'd bring on some other voices, uh, some other people to come and uh, have a chat, talk about their experience, and, and give um, their sort of perspective, um, especially from um, practices or, or professions that are uh, aligned with us. Um, so people from like physiotherapy is as probably the most obvious example uh, to come in and sort of give us their, their take. Um, so today I, I'm very lucky uh, to have uh, Jack Chu uh, from based in the, in the UK uh, come on and uh, have a chat. Uh, Jack, how's it going? Good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Great to chat to you. You know, it's, it's uh, brilliant to have you along. Um, but I guess uh, for the audience, people who uh, don't know who you are, can you give us a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a spiel of who you are and what you do and, um, yeah, how you, how you also, you know, if you want to add in, uh, how you came across Course Health? Sure. No, I'm, uh, I'm Jack Chu. I'm a physiotherapist by background based in South Manchester in the UK. Um, at the moment, I have three main jobs. I have a clinical practice in South Manchester, um, which admittedly seeing fewer and fewer patients as, as, the, as, the, as the team do that, that grunt work, mainly because I got distracted by the fact that the pandemic was a bad time to be in clinical practice, but a good time to be in digital education, which is what I do through Physio Matters. I have a podcast that's, which started back when podcasts were novel about eight years ago. Um, and so that's then, then, then grown into a network of shows as well as then Therapy Live, which is its live event wing. Um, my third role is uh, the director and founder of a think tank called MSK Reform, which is a non-profit operating to raise standards, particularly quite UK centric in the fact that it's then trying to lobby government and other um, influence bodies within the UK to try and reform policy in a positive direction to put MSK in the agenda that the evidence is certainly pointing for it to need to be on a public health level. And so those are the, my, my three key roles. And you know, the, the heart of it, I suppose, as a sort of semi-public person in, in the profession is that I just end up being a commentator. You know, I just chat about many different things and, uh, and, and therefore end up overthinking and thinking deeply about much, much of this, which then means that the Cause Health Project and all of its associated characters uh, are exactly the sorts of thinkers that I aspire to, to emulate and struggle to. But that have inspired me to think more carefully and deeper about issues that we used to take for granted. And so I came across Cause Health. I, I kind of keep, I think I said to you just off air uh, about how I would have loved to have sort of stumbled across it and had that moment because I've heard from so many people, uh, including those that I've put onto it, that they've had that moment. I, I, I kind of heard whispers about it. I knew that the grant application had gone in. It's mainly because I'm sort of, uh, friends and colleagues with with Roger Kerry and uh, and and so I kind of got 
hints in that direction because he was excited and shooting his mouth off over a beer years ago. And so I kind of knew about that. And then we as a team were involved to try and help amplify and broadcast its original uh, live event. Um, and so by being behind the camera and trying to absorb it that way and even concentrating on some of the editing and, and helping with some of the, um, you know, you're basically putting subtitles on the jargon and things means that we paid really close attention as a team and realized just how compatible this was with our existing clinical practice, as well as it then giving us some, some new angles to pursue uh, with regards to reform in that direction clinically. Yeah. So I think what, what, what I sort of hear from that is that you, you've had your ear to the ground for, for many, many years in terms of um, hearing not only from experts, but also seeing lots of trends um, in the management of musculoskeletal conditions, very, very in tune with the, with the evidence base in terms of um, specifically on a clinical level, but also on like a, a health systems level. And, you know, you're seeing core health as being very much aligned with where the wider evidence base is and where, and, and seeing it fit within um, how all these other experts that might be siloed off in their own sort of worlds or very specific focus, you're seeing how cause health really applies to everything. Absolutely. It's one of those that, you know, you, you, a sensible application of the humanities is to ground and nest any scientific endeavor within its social context. And, and that we were just, we're just increasingly missing that. I think especially in these, say, out, we call them allied health professions in the UK, but you know, your, your podiatry, your physiotherapy, your osteopathy, occupational therapy. Just, we know that you've got to sensibly apply any evidence that might emerge in whatever format it might emerge, because we're not pharmacy. It's not physics. It's not, God, it's, it's, it, it can't be that matter of fact. It's kind of a known thing. So for Cause Health to speak into that and then also be bold enough to scratch away at the, the base philosophy of it, you know, what, what is the, the core ontology and, and what is the difference there? It was just like a real breath of fresh air, but also I can't pretend that, you know, we just all watched on and just absorbed that, oh, yeah, that's what we think. No, of course, there's, there's lots of novel um, and quite exposing features of that project that's then changed our practice and changed our direction and being a you know, good philosophy persuades you you know it moves things it changes people's minds as to how they go about pursuing it and when I think on that policy level you know that's exactly it you don't you know it is the sort of thing that stops you then ramming home a narrow empirical agenda saying to the the, the government or otherwise saying we just need a really rigid application of this particular guidance and you need to banish other modalities or treatments or <laughs> styles of thinking because the evidence says, of course, I can't imagine ever getting dragged in that direction. But what Cause Health does is, is offer a wider look at not only why that's a nonsense thing to do, but also what what would be sensible informed policy changes that could then make sure that that mistake doesn't get happened but also we don't indul overindulge the other side of it you know what what uh, people want to imply causation to their narrow modalities um when it comes to getting people better so it kind of felt like a really nice thing that spoke against the narrow sense of empiricism but it also spoke against those that wanted to make causal claims to their interventions or a particular part of their assessment and uh, or the findings from their assessment. And I, I kind of love that because I'm, I'm kind of frustrated by both wings of that thinking, I guess. Hmm. I think it, it's, there's a, it's not a official sort of cause health uh, approach, um, but I see a lot of 
um, similarity between sort of medical nihilism. Um, if you've sort of come across the work of um, Jason Stratenga. Um, and it really sort of talks about, you know, expanding this sort of idea when you challenge this idea of, of uh, medicine having all the answers, evidence having all the answers, and you actually change your approach and say, well, what if science doesn't have all the answers and that we've just got to be really careful and thoughtful and think through what we're doing and why we're doing it? There's this sort of natural... Um, hesitancy because people are going well you're opening the floodgates and you are um allowing all these other sort of non-science thinking in is but i think what you know what you're sort of striking at the heart of right there is that is really about challenging these underlying assumptions about how we approach health so we're looking for the one modality the one fix we're looking at the whole individual we're looking at the whole person and uh, we're not just looking for that quick thing um in that expansion, we're also encouraging critical thinking and course health is giving people tools to how to think critically about uh, these things, not just differently. And in that critical thinking process, we don't end up sort of letting everything in and um, having everyone being able to sort of practice however they want, you know, uh, you know, thinking about sort of the homeopathy, all of a sudden we're getting tonics um, of, of, you know, 99.95% water. Costume, yeah, because you know, you, you and your apologists would be like, well, you know, the jury's out on the mechanisms or whatever, and and so yeah, we need to make sure that those floodgates don't open. I'm not aware of Jason's work. I'm not going to try and pronounce his surname, but I'll certainly be looking it up um, because that sounds fascinating. But you know, the, the the nihilism is is definitely something that I witness, and it's kind of it's tempting. You know, it's just this, it's uh, it's it's implies narrow facts of the matter that can therefore help to assist those that are otherwise sort of confused by complexity i mean we should all be confused by complexity but i mean like overly phased by it and so they therefore are defensive and act out and therefore want to reach for something that's then tangible and so the, the, this this data-led uh, empiricism uh, means that then you can be nihilistic to anything that falls outside of that um and and that is a, a shame i think it's a waste i think as well you know, who is it for? What is it we're doing? It's like you sat across from people in clinic and you're sat there as a person who knows some stuff and they're sat across from you as a person that knows some stuff that you don't know because they've had their experience and you've had yours and you've got some expertise, but you don't know enough about them until you ask them some questions. And so for me, it just felt so compatible, not just clinically, but then it's like, what do I do, what do, I do with actual experts that sit across from me that I grill for my podcast and I try and elicit their expertise? Um, and it just felt so natural that then if you approach that in such a way that you're drawing what is causally relevant information, not just accessories to it, not just like, oh, wouldn't it be good to help build a rapport because I need, you know, to, to ask after the, the breed of dog they have and their dog's name, right? just seems such a, a narrow thing to think that that's rapport building or it's just nice conversation rather than recognizing that all of that information that you're eliciting is 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 causally relevant in so many ways depending on what that means to that individual it might not be that might just be pleasantries and conversation but it might turn out that that the, the relevance of said the name i can't think of why that would be but let's just say dog breed is going to matter as to what it's a physiotherapist I'm, I'm particularly bothered about dog size when it comes to what's dragging someone's unstable shoulder it matters you know and so it doesn't take for those narrow things to to recognize that that if you were going about things in a i'd say even a pre-course health era where you weren't truly recognizing that 
this actual holism going on, then you would be having those conversations thinking, right, all, a lot of this stuff is window dressing for these key questions that are going to inform what I think is causing your pain and what I think will cause your recovery. All the rest of it is just you know, pleasantries. And, you know, that, that is it's wasteful. It's not, it's not human. It, 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 it's, not, it's not what it's, it's human, I guess, but it's not, it's not appropriately compassionate. It's not appropriately sort of, um, you know, you're not having a kinship with your, 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 uh, your fellow member of the public really there because you've, you've, you've wrongly assumed a power, power dynamic whereby you are dictating all of the sort of pace and control of that conversation because essentially you know that I'm going to ask these questions because it's kind of nice to, but then eventually I'm going to smuggle in some questions that are actually going to be diagnostic and I'm going to smuggle in some questions that are actually going to indicate what is going to be our treatment plan. When, you know, that that is a, a really narrow way of looking at things. And also one that I think amusingly, you know, evidence of all flavours is sort of played out to demonstrate that that doesn't work anyway. It's not as if we've got this really, you know, this this pursuit of narrow empiricism has got as far. You know, it's not as if, oh, well, yeah, the, the, you know, pub, all of our public health metrics have done nothing but plummet since this. You know, it's like, that's not the story, is it? So it's like even be empirical about the outcomes. It ain't working. Let's think of something different. And one of the things to to, to conclude, unfortunately, is that we need to we need to be more humble as to what factors we were otherwise dismissive of that we need to bring back to the table. I think I, I like that sort of that 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 approach that you're sort of taking or the, or the the way that you're looking at cause health and it's more of its wider um applicability because really you're highlighting that um diagnostically we don't have a lot of tests um or we don't have a lot of questions and we've seen this with like chad cook's work on special tests uh, with his book i think it was like 96 percent of tests weren't specific or valid enough in their own right to determine if there was a pathology present um, or for the pathology that I identified was relevant. So you can have all these wonderful little sort of special tests uh, that you can do. We're seeing the same with questions. We're seeing the same with even just um, the histories that lead to a diagnosis. We're not seeing as that as enough information to be reliable enough to determine what's happening. Um, and therefore you need to consider all this other bits of information. But I like, you know, sort of the other part of it is where you're highlighting that I mean, realistically, if we're building rapport, if we're building trust, we're trying to really understand the other person, you know, sort of seeing, splitting uh, the bits of him into two. So this is the bit that's relevant to me and this is the bit that's sort of fluff. Um, then, you know, are you really genuinely interested in that person? Are you really getting to know them? Are you building that that actual genuine connection to then um, understand them not as just a, a, the piece of meat and what's wrong with them, understand them as a person and ultimately then make a change in their life? So it's sort of like Cause Health has really expanded our view of not just what is relevant to that person, but expanding us and saying, you know, if we really want to make change, you know, we really have to understand the human and this is sort of a cool way that we can kind of do both at the same time well yeah exactly and it's not up to you is it like it's just you know when you're when you're sat across from someone and you're trying to work out what's important like you, you, you're trying to help them reach their functional goals especially in sort of a contemporary practice model whereby even without us being sort of what we're considering big picture holistic you're still in a situation where hopefully you're not correcting them in a narrow biomechanical sense you know or you're they're not coming in with a, a series of faults that you need to unearth 
you know, they're coming in with a functional deficit that they would like to pursue. And you hope that their goals are realistic within the you know, time frames, of course, that they might have and expectations they might have. And that's the negotiation too. But it's kind of the, when it comes to that, it's like, what, what, what arrogance it would be for us to think that we are in charge of what they, what, what is or isn't relevant you know, to them, you know, so how, how would you have that insight? Even in those rare occasions where someone does sit across from you that you do know really well, I mean, that obviously presents its bigger challenges when it's close friends and family, but let's just say it's a patient on, that's, that's returning fourth, fourth injury, asks very interesting and, and unusual things with their bodies and stuff that you have that, that more deeper and intimate relationship than you do with, say, Joe Bloggs. It's still a fascinating arrogance to think that this mo- you would understand what this mo- in this moment in time is the causally relevant information affecting their condition and the causally relevant information that will affect their recovery. It's like, how would you know? Like, well, it just seems like <laughs> such a fascinating thing. Like, that's, again, why it suits my biases to then get stuck into conversation. I think um, what, what's been a useful thing with why cause health is a, is a, good, a good proxy for people to get stuck into this stuff um, is that... There's so many different ways in which you you might have it might have reached you. You know the 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 critique of empiricism and, and say you know, RCTs and, and recognizing their, their shortcomings um, for the, some of the reasons we, we've mentioned. But then just from a raw clinical practice, you know um, when people are well, I've, I've never been tempted to to suddenly overanalyze RCTs and apply apply them so um, so clumsily. You know, um, then th- those are still people that often are benefit greatly from the fact that within understanding how cause health approaches dispositions is and, and understanding those it is a really valuable thing just to understand the fact that of course when we're in practice we recognize that two given individuals could have encountered not overtly dissimilar circumstances yet have very different uh, reactions to that you know and, and because of you know, and, and you can approach whatever model that might be. Um, just, you know, it, 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 historically, you'd be just thinking you know, what systemic factors would leave you vulnerable to, what would predispose you to that vulnerability and stuff. And I think, really, I think we're well-placed as therapists of all stripes, especially, in, I would say, in the MSK game, to, it's very compatible. You know, if you give it a chance to, it can be quite exposing initially. But actually, if you look at it, you know, you, it's not as if it's... Uh, it's a, a gospel that needs to be absorbed and accepted as one. It's like there's lots of different routes for it to inform your practice if you just give it a chance to. And I think that's one of the things that's particularly excited me about it as a, as a project and its outcomes. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of clinic, in terms of patients, what would you, you mentioned the example before of the dog and you sort of go, you know, oh, well, you know, we used to think, uh, you know, or, or people used to approach it as, oh, we've got a grab dog, you know, what's its name? What's its breed? Oh, it's a bit of rapport. But there's some interesting causally relevant information there in terms about the dog size, um, the dog breed, you know, how, you know, because again, you know, the, the breed will determine how often it has to be exercised, how strong it is. And you've got that sort of um, a patient with a with an unstable, potentially unstable shoulder and and, and that's dragging along. So that that's a great piece of information. Do you have any other sort of uh, examples or things that you sort of commonly see sort of just to highlight, I think, the breadth that we can go to to find information that, that's sort of relevant? Sure, yeah, and it's funny because uh, it's, it's sprung to mind, but I, I, I doubt, 
if I'd have prepped it, it probably wouldn't have been a top 10 example, really. It's funny because <laughs> these things emerge. It's more the, the example that, we, you know, things that you would otherwise have not considered to be relevant can be because, and again, again, that context sensitivity, you know, in another person, it really ends up not being. You know, it ends up being that they're telling you about uh, their, their partner's dog, of which they never walk and don't want to, don't get on well with it. That's but that would even be relevant, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's one of the things that might be. <laughs> well, were they not having a, a yeah, dog dragon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, but yeah, other other examples then is that when it comes to um, let's say you know diagnostically relevant information, let's say that that might be might be affecting it. I do, especially when I'm teaching some of this stuff um, and. I do indulge a bit of a separation sometimes between what is you know causing someone's problem and what might be you know what, what what was the cause of their recovery let's say in part because I'm complying with a model of separation between say assessment and treatment which is kind of somewhat baked in and, and somewhat socially expected uh, not just interprofessionally but sometimes from the public that, that come in um, that means that when you've say got uh, uh, let's let's try and uh, I'm, bra- I'm braving it now on a, on a, uh, speaking to a podiatrist, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about about the ankle, and we think about all of the, the factors affecting that, and we'll just go for something say sporty. Is that when um, someone has let's say um, chronic ankle instability, you know they're getting recurrent recurrent lateral ankle sprains, and and that's a fairly common presentation, and let's say especially in our clinic, we see a lot of second opinion work and we see a lot of people that have had various different things, tape of all colours on, on, on various bit, bits of their foot and ankle. Um, so you're sitting across from them and, and one of the things that I find that I might ask that they're surprised to be asked is I get stuck into the weeds when this player, if this, this patient happens to be a, a, a hockey player, right? And they are sometimes surprised at how much I'm bothered about their, what position they play. Or beyond that, you know, what's, what are your strengths or weaknesses within hockey? Oh, are you a hockey player? No. They think I'm being sometimes, they think I'm just being nosy because I'm like interested. They think, what's he digressing like this for? So sometimes I have to explain myself. But I'm like, well, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Oh, I'm quite, I'm quite nippy, I'm quite skillful. Or, you know, I've got high top speed and stuff. And sometimes I have to invite those questions more specifically. But it's kind of like that is not just me being pleasant about thinking, oh, this person likes hockey, therefore they'll probably like talking about hockey, therefore it's going to be a nice rapport build, a bit like the dog. It's, I really care about that. So why wouldn't I care about that stuff? Why wouldn't it matter to me both what might be, you know, be part of even just a, let's narrowly think about the load parameters on that ankle. It's going to be relevant to their style of play. You got any, you got any clips, you got any clips that you're particularly you know, proud of that demonstrates your, style and skill, especially depending on the level of which they play at, they often do. You know, they'll say, oh, well, let's you know, some athletes, you say, oh, let's go on YouTube. I'll, I'll show you some of my, <laughs> you know, rugby players want to show you their best goal kicks and stuff. So looking at their technique on that or looking at what their strengths are and ball out of hand, you know, I'm, I'm mixing my sports now, but let's stick with this hockey player, is that you're then thinking those are the parameters that are going to, it's causally relevant information that would would help me to understand what my, I, I, I'm, I'm mixing that within my, my more specific professional knowledge and expertise as to what is asked of the body on, say, a biomechanical level. Um, but there's a social phenomena that exists within what they're doing to participate within their sport. There's their peers and colleagues and the, the, the level of that they're playing, the, the pressure of that particular game that might be the, the story that they're telling from this particular injury or you know a, a chronic condition, as I described it, that's happening before. But then 
you've also then got the the circumstances that make me realize that that's causally relevant information assisting me sort of understanding the parameters not necessarily diagnostically but understanding the assessment parameters that would be contributing right instead of it being like here's a here's a the cause is right here's are the, the the various causal factors that might be contributing to these things but then also the same sorts of information it's not as if i have to do another pass on it because that information is also then should be assisting me in collaborating with them on a treatment plan as to what they're aspiring to right you know as to what what it is that that they are going to be asking of their body that will that will then contribute to their success in getting it better what might cause their their um, improvement you know what mechanism of effect might deliver that and and you know it's for me based on sort of the complexity theory that that can really intersect well with this is that how on earth you, how on earth would you know you've got a sort of you, there is a bit of trial and error that comes with that there is the sort of art in the science of that and and so again i hope that that example and you know there's, there's all sorts of different angles there that can be taken within a sport that people might think it's just been extra nosy but actually it's like well no what they're you know anything that can give you an example as to what they're asking of the body that can give you the ability then as a professional to understand that on a slightly different or deeper level uh, can, can really assist that process and enriches not just the conversation, but enriches the, the factors of which you're reasoning with. Now, when I tell these sorts of tales and stuff, I always think it's quite amusing. Like, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not nearly smart enough to know whether or not Ronnie might listen to this. It'd be funny if she did, because I'm sure she'll text me back. But if Ronnie listens to this and be like, well, he's just completely misunderstood the entire premise. You know, it's, it's the sort of thing that tickles me because it, it could well happen. Um, and I'm okay with that because that's just how, you know, unfortunately not being smart enough to understand it on, on that deeper philosophical level, that next layer as to what it's, or what it's meaning. I've still found that th- this, this, this project and this body of work has helped me to understand that those aren't just, aren't just frivolous, uh, they're not just frivial, frivial? frivolous pieces of information. They, 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 these can really contribute to your reasoning process and framework. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of fun for me is that you don't have to go all in. You know, it's like I was saying earlier, you can, you can, you can just take those examples and, and just push it a little bit further and recognize how that affected your outcomes and, and also you know measure that you know measure it in yourself as to how comfortable that conversation was measure it in yourself as to what that relationship was uh, maybe sometimes against the odds it surprises you that patients uh, especially of of say uh, categories of patients of which you've maybe struggled with particularly before this might unlock new things you know, again a, a subject subjective je ne sais quoi of progress but then also tangible clinical outcomes on functional measures your psfs and the like for for, for that to understand as to just, yeah, I did better on every level of analysis with that patient. And why might that be? We'd be remiss and hypocritical for us to say, well, those things caused the improvement, wouldn't it? You know, but we <laughs> did it contribute positively? I think so. And it certainly made me enjoy my work more. Hmm. I, I liked I like that example a lot because what you really highlighted is, and I think this is this is a um potentially uh not a mistake but like an over emphasized component is that when we're looking at what is causally relevant we're zooming out on someone's life and it's mainly looking at psychosocial factors or environmental factors um which i i think is is still vitally important but if we really want to emphasize how this reasoning process works i mean we can we can reason it out in in very sort of um a way that we'd 
traditionally more apply, which is thinking, you know, when I back back and did my um, uh, sports uh, and exercise medicine uh, training, it was really focused on mechanism of injury, mechanism of injury. And you're focusing on this minutia detail, which usually goes along with that very sort of empirical data-driven objective sort of approach that does ignore a lot of things around it. Um, but sort of there's, well, you know, we can expand out. We can look at the hockey player and say, so what positions are they going to put themselves in? How are they playing? You know, I think of sort of the classic sort of example I sort of see um, here, and it's it's more of an Australian sport, is, is AFL. And you think about the midfielder who's, uh, well, I guess it's also relevant in soccer as well. Um, you know, the midfielder who's very, very fast, who's got a lot of stamina, and can complete can continually run and therefore you know thinking about an unstable ankle they're going from one field to the other potentially having to cut and change as the play goes on compared to a player who's just very good at reading the game and isn't really that fit uh, but just puts themselves in the right position there and, and having that discussion well, the same the same player in the twilight of their career yeah you know that's what often happens doesn't it the same player can therefore especially if they, they're, they're polymathic enough to be able to be versatile it might be that the same the same player the same circumstances the same injury parameters they might just end up having that ability to go a bit more cerebral later in their career and dictate the play slightly differently without and and, and part of that might be compatible within an injury whereas if they were to pursue the same style of play then it might be career ended so you know it's a, it's a great example in fact it's a much better example than my one <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't say that i'm i'm just sort of like he's like oh i know something i can add to this um i'm just very glad oh, i can no, it's really good because the time you know that that's the thing people make that and i've made that mistake in that example is that you just time is such a fascinating variable we've got to consider especially an athletic shelf life it's a bit harsh to call it a shelf life isn't it but that athletic career is often at a shorter time frame than a true lifespan and and that in your example it's just a perfect one that that arcs differently and i think you've just you know what, what i hope it gives people a clue on is that there's just ever more reason to go that level deeper than you'd expect to need to go you know, why not inform yourself with all those different factors? And you're right, it needn't be those macro psychosocial. I mean, ignore them at your peril, of course. Um, but, you know, I, we needn't have gone there. We, 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 could, we could literally be talking about kinetics and, and, and vectors if we wanted to, as to why that would inform your reasoning, right? Yeah. You, know, you, you might not be ready for that next step. You know, I, I teach it as being saying, going through the gears. Um, I always forget, in, in Oz, you know, when I speak to an, uh, an American audience, they're like, what are you on about gears for? Because they don't drive sticks, they, they all automatic <laughs> vehicles. So I think you guys, it's more culturally compatible with going through the gears in a car. Yes. But uh, I often describe it as being like if, if someone's sort of a, if someone's a structuralist, you can probably persuade them to be a sort of biomechanically, you know, they recognize that it might not just be the fault and the damage to the tissues, but it's the way that someone's moving badly, right? They can get there, they can get into second gear, then they might need to take another step. And that might be that they start to consider the fact that psychological components can affect someone's biomechanics, right? If they're tense, then they will move badly. You know, you kind of, it's layers of wrong here, of course, but I'm just meaning that the next incremental step might help. And then it might take a while for someone to be considering what would be appropriately true holism that respects and, and considers them relevant, all the other wider factors. And, and everyone's in a different position as to whether or not they're accepting of that. And much like in the car, in the right circumstances, going downhill, you can jump from second gear to fifth and it might be appropriate. 
Um, but often um, it might well be that that, that that individual person and that individual learner's disposition means that you've got to go through the gears gently. You might back off a gear as well. And it depends where they're coming from. And we need to respect that too. And I think that I hope that examples such as, as this, particularly your one, can can help people recognize just how accessible it can be regardless of where you're at you know regardless of where you are on the on the gearbox if that analogy is carried yeah i think there's a, there's a there's a level of uh, i think with the previous approaches that we've often had which is you know database driven you know very very uh focused on something and going we really need to understand exactly how this is relevant um exactly how this how this works in order for us to change it i think what we're what we're sort of starting to highlight is that you know, we don't always have to completely understand exactly how that's how that's relevant. And I'm thinking more with your example on on you know sort of psychosocial factors and things. I'm thinking about um, uh, an athlete being you know un- not confident, tense, fear avoidant. We don't have to know exactly how that that occurs to be able to go. Well, that's kind of relevant. Um, and or or we have to let's say for example someone sees themselves as as you were talking about a um you know young fit player running across the field heaps but now they're getting older and we have to sort of work them into a mindset of being more focused and reading the play like we don't actually have to really delve deep into a lot of these factors we can just say well is this uh, the way i look at it is is this something that we can mention is this something we can influence is this something that we can guide and i guess that's sort of when we're thinking about the the wider view of things and we just keep picking up more bits of information we're identifying oh i can now use this bit of information to change something i can now use this little bit of information to to change something and and i guess the the wider sort of part of complexity which i talk about heaps is we can always reach the end goal by many different means so you don't have to always change everything i guess my my big question for you sort of going going through all that is you know you've gone into this very deep detailed example of a hockey player and asking about their position and things how would you make that less intimidating if you're telling someone that as an example and someone's sitting there going geez i've got to know all of this information i've got to know you know if i see a hockey player i have to know about the positions um what what would you sort of <laughs> say to that <laughs> yeah yeah you, you, you sometimes worry don't you like do you open a can of worms um, as just you know, finding a lot of information that you don't know how relevant it is, uh, because you need to. Now I, I get myself into that trouble all the time. You know, <laughs> a cross player the other day, I'm like, and then you find it doesn't take much googling to realise just how different men's and women's lacrosse is with regard, regards to what they ask of their bodies and their, their torso in this instance from a rib injury. So yeah, it's it's, it's daunting. I, I think you know you you, you start off by. Um, making sure you're authentic with yourself asking questions that you genuinely want to ask not because you feel obliged to because someone said it on a podcast right and then next time you see a <laughs> hockey player you don't crack your knuckles and think right i'm going to ask all them mad questions that, that that jack suggested you ask you just go that little that little step deeper and i think as well you know be just it's a good conversation so you're kind of humble with the fact that oh, i don't know a lot about that you know can you tell me more you know that's not a sport i know as much about you know what's that involved what was you know what's that particularly high tempo like x or is it more slower like this or you know it's just you know i suppose i don't want to it's a really good point because i don't want to intimidate people into thinking that i would encourage you to ask that information because whatever they answer you will know how that would place and integrate within your reasoning no not a 
course not. You, you're often having to like, I overuse this analogy, but it's just like, for, for me, it's just getting all the cards on the table as part of your assessment, right? Both subjective and objective assessment. It's just like, what are the factors at play in this, right? And you don't always know. And it is, sometimes you, especially in front of a patient, you know, I, I'll, I won't necessarily use that analogy, but I'll, I'll be often, I'll be paused for a second and in, in, in a different circumstance to this one where we weren't in rooms. If I was in cubicles, I used to pace up and down the department for a second with my clipboard, just trying to think of what am I doing with all this? And I'll sometimes say to a patient, I said, there's a lot there. I'm just trying to work it out. And then sometimes I'll even invite it. Where, where do you think of the, of the things we've just talked about? What do you think are the most relevant really at this, at this point in time? What do you think having aired all of that, what do you think is contributing most to it? You know, you don't want to use that cause word. Um, <laughs> you might do, you might, it's a socially interesting word, but you know, you, but I think, you know, I don't for a second think that everyone should know, um, the, the, the intricacies of, of, of field hockey, AFL, wrestling, ballet dancing, and of course, all the other occupational things that we could mention way outside of, of, of sport. It's more that, and I'm, I say this as someone that is a clinical educator, right? It's like, I'm, I'm, that's my physio matters side is that fundamentally I've hopefully got resources now over the course of years that mean that people can aspire to know more about that sort of stuff and know about how it might integrate, know about, some of the things that that might be more pathology based and, and more specific or more biomechanical but i think it's 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 that even if you don't know what to do with it again it's not up to you you know mm. it's just not up to you i'm afraid it's 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 annoying it's awkward it can be a bit intimidating but unearthing it you know if, it's not me implying that you should then know what to do with it of course not but you know the pursuit of finding that out is an interesting one you know it's 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 a, it, 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 and it's also not an obligation um and then you don't have to sort of bullshit your patient into impl- you know implying that you know exactly what that means oh yeah okay yeah, yeah. so you're more of a defensive midfielder that, that plays and, and often you know this is another level that i i go to in certain sports that i might know better uh, that, that your audience that might feel already intimidated by my specificity would definitely would not want to go here but if it is a sport that you know then um you might say well, you know what what, what professional footballers game do you emulate most, right? You know, especially in, in say, football, soccer in the UK and stuff. It's like there's a few premiership footballers they might mention that I wouldn't be able to. It, that'd be really, it's really helpful. Like, I, I really am, I am, I'm going to use two, two uh, in, proud uh, Englishmen at the moment as we're in the middle of a tournament. But, you know, if, if they tell me that they play more like Declan Rice than they do Jack Grealish, I, I, I care about that. That's really helpful for me to understand what they ask of their body on a football pitch. Do I therefore expect people to ask those questions? No, that's 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 me as Jack Chu with my interests and hobbies as well as professional interests and hobbies, meaning that that is then really relevant and and the context of which I come to that conversation means that I can have that. And you can comprehend why that would be a pleasant conversation between two football nuts, but you can also then think because of what I also carry with my professional knowledge, means that I can integrate that into strategies that, that might give me better insight and to be more likely to help that person in front of me. And, and that is obviously the center of the bullseye for me. Mm. It's like, well, how, how can you be better at helping people? How can you get better at helping people get better? And their participation in it is just more important than ever. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we just could do things to people or for <laughs> people, right? It was yeah. just, we just did. We just thought that like, they were there 
And it was just really fortunate that this bag of meat has a voice because I can ask him some questions and it can help me. Like, but, but really, let's say, we, you know, just, they, were, they were often, let's just say they were voiceless. And it was just like these things that if I get you to move in a certain way and do a certain thing and feel a certain thing um, and, and ideally hear a bit about your story, then fundamentally I'll know what to do to you to get you better. It's like, we're just unfo- it just hasn't gone that way, has it? It could have done. It could have done, couldn't it? God knows how, but it could have done. And it hasn't. Instead... We need to collaboratively, somewhat persuasively sometimes, have them do things with their body that's irritatingly often painful, to participate in something that aspires them to be better at something they want to get better at, right? It's just, it's just. I know I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing massively there. I'm, I'm doing down uh, what, we, what we do. But that functional model of, of care delivery and aspiring people to their own personalised goals it's it's it sometimes sounds more complicated because it is more complicated than what used to be the dis, the, the sort of disembodying someone from their consciousness and just it being that we can then do things to them and and, and, and even just on assessment that that the important stuff would emerge you know from from palpation and or motion analysis it's like you know, grow up you know i can't help it i can't help but say that if you if you're hoping that this can be an obvious bolt-on to that way of thinking, then, yeah, I suppose it's pretty daunting and it's pretty challenging. But unfortunately, I just don't think you've got a leg to stand on um, to, to be so um, so um, blinkered, you know, to, to, to see people as a, as, a, as a bag of body parts or, or, or a bag of meat that's not engaging in this, in this complex world together with us. I, I think to sort of to go back... Um, to the exam to to that that specific example and things sort of taking it in a different way. So imagine if you you have had this hockey player and um, you haven't asked this asked this information. Uh, I think sort of if I'm going to put my um, sort of S and T hat on, there's a level of um, not actually really needing that information in, in one way right at that exact moment to actually create a treatment plan as well. And I think that's probably something to highlight because if if I'm thinking from, okay, this person's now at a point where they're going to start going back to their activity, they're going back to what they're doing. Um, you know, there are some really, really strong strength and conditioning principles that you can apply, that you can be doing that sort of accidentally addresses some of those factors, you know, itself. <laughs> yeah. Without, without thinking yeah. about it. And I think that's sort of the thing to highlight, but it's it's interesting in the sense that when we get to know more information, that's sort of putting all your cards out, you can sort of see um, exactly where you need to go and why, and it might inform you on a, at a little bit more of the minutia level. Um, so you might actually, you know, get to a point where you're running drills or you're running exercises and, and things around some of the movements that they, they specifically are going to do. But there's also that level of when we understand the evidence, we know that they don't have to do that to get the good outcome. Um, I, I guess it's sort of the, the other thing I, I'm thinking about in terms of, you know, my patients and, and what I do is it that doesn't might not come out till, you know, the fourth or fifth interview because i'm also thinking about how many how many people are going you know great i want to do this information but i've only got you know i mean i'm very lucky i have an hour for my initial appointments and and i and i don't do uh any less um and that's not enough time um you know you you sort of you you got to hone in on on i'm thinking you know to sort of advance that and sort of maybe go into what you're thinking you also got to think about what's relevant at the time 
Um, so sort of to make it less intimidating, you know, a, a big part of the process I see it as is, is finding out what's relevant also at that time. You said, you know, time's a very interesting sort of component and, and what is relevant at that time. Because if that, that occupier's, you know, just done their, um, you know, just rolled their ankle and they're swollen, they're sore, they're struggling to weight bear and we're sort of doing an assessment on uh, their ankle and going, you know, are we referring for X-ray? X-ray, do we think it's broken? Do we, are we going to, what are we going to do for the next couple of days? We're probably not asking them what position they're playing um, and going into that discussion. We're probably more focused on what is going to be relevant now. And, you know, it does give us that time down the track, I think as well, to to go away and research and think and sort of build uh, and I think the other thing you were saying as well that I thought was, you know, interesting to highlight is that you can ask them, you can say, hey, you know, I don't know about this sport, but let's think about it together and take what I know and what I can uh, understand and my understanding of human movement, my understanding of a good example I always use is tendons. Um, you know, we know uh, tendons uh, get more irritated by faster movements and by faster and then heavier movements. So we can sort of say, well, this, you know, we can sort of think it through logically and say, well, I understand your position and what you're doing and, and why this is irritating without having to know that position beforehand. So I like that, you know, at the start, sort of bring it back around, you were talking about, you know, being humble. Uh, and I think there's a there's a level of, if we're humble and we're sort of saying there's so much we need to know and a big part of cause health being that, that patients themselves know, uh, call, you know, uh, know a lot, our experts within themselves, within their own sort of fields and experts within how they use their body, we can sort of meet in the, mm. in the middle. And I think that, that sort of leads nicely onto your other point of, of, you know, bringing the patient in and saying, look, I don't know where this is going to go. You know, I, I'm really struggling to understand how this all fits together. Where do you see fit? Because, you know, I've definitely had patients that come in that just go, I feel like if I get uh, something in my shoe, um, that, that, that will be the, you know, something to support me more, I feel like would be better. Or I've specifically come in because I think I can get stronger and the exercises will be helpful. And, that's really useful information because it tells me immediately what they're going to say yes to. Um, now, obviously there's caveats to, I'm not just going to then willy nilly, you know, you get an orthotic, you get an orthotic, you get an orthotic. Um, Cause there's some, you know, ethical considerations there, especially with people's societal understanding of what orthotics do. And I've definitely had people that come in where you tell them what an orthotic does and they go, I don't want that anymore. Um, but there is yeah. that, um, that information of, of, you know, so much of what we do is about guiding people, to to where they want to go but it's a part of that's also figuring out their limitations uh both physically but also some potentially some you know limitations or some contraindications uh, or i i often i have a part of my form that says constraints and constraints can mean actual real constraints but also constraints of their life and their lifestyle and what they desire to do or what they don't want to do um so getting that information that's relevant to what they're actually going to take with our information, what they actually can do, or what they want to do, uh, is is super interesting as well. So I feel like a lot of patient, a lot of practitioners don't want to hand over that that um, the the oh, I'm thinking of a, a, a the reins really. I was going to say talking stick, um, a tribal <laughs> thing, but handing over the reins to someone in a consult because. Um, it feels unscientific or it doesn't feel like we're fulfilling our role if we're saying what's relevant when really it's also just a question of what are you prepared to do 
What are you prepared to try? Yeah. If I'm telling you I'm confused, um, what are you prepared to start? <laughs> Where are you prepared to start? And then we'll get some more info and we'll go from there. Well, that's you've helped to correct for and and complement my point, I think, because I can realise now that I might be suggesting that you just go deeper and deeper and deeper into specifics. People be wondering how many hours I do on an initial consult and that uh, how much I think, you know, because it's all causally relevant information, you want all of it right then. Of course I don't. But then similarly, something that I hadn't said, which you, you've said then really well, is it often just emerges from a conversation. So you'd be sat across from someone and say, so you know, what is it that of your current circumstance that, that, that concerns you about your future, be that athletic or otherwise, you know, let's just stick with this hockey player. It's like, it's from a question like that that makes them then potentially say, well, the way I play hockey, you know, I'd probably get away with this at the moment, if especially with chronic ankle instability and stuff, let's say, if I I strap it, even, you know, strap it each time I play and and I I modify my game slightly, then then I'll probably get away with this. And I'm training okay, but in a game situation, and even if it's a mid-table game, I'm not so bad. But actually, if I want to be at my very best, I'm losing 20% off the top. Often, these are the sorts of things that that come from them, right? It's not just that I've just got a particularly longer waffly or crib sheet. You know, it's it's, it's something that truly emerges from the patient's specific interest. And they're unlikely to want to go down every single rabbit hole available um, because, because you know, the, the, the examples we're, we're trying to bring to bear are the ones where that might be really central to their, their sense of, of, of self, as well as what might be then the really important information for end stage. So it might be that it doesn't come up for a few sessions, but you know, by the time that they're aspiring return, by the time that they're again, recognizing themselves back on an hockey pitch, that's when it might emerge. I think to, to your, um, to your to your first point as well i think the ability to try to get people understanding and and, and respecting the fact that none of this none of this isn't it's not compatible it is very compatible with the way in which we've come to understand things you know it's like yeah there's certain things that you it feels quite exposing because you're going back to, to to a bit of a baseline. Like you are exposing yourself to where your where your priors are. You know what you things that we long held to be monocausal factors affecting things. But you know, there's, there's other than that, it feels like most people I speak to embrace this stuff and they find that it's actually quite more compatible than it maybe looks like on the surface. And uh, another another example, and, and, and this is, again, me braving it, sticking with the foot, but say a, a, a stress fracture of, of the foot is something that it'd be, it'd be remiss if you were thinking about that on not just biomechanical, but say mechanical factors affecting it. You know, w- why wouldn't you be bothered about the fact that the, what systemic features, be that stress, sleep, both, might be contributing to someone to have and be more predisposed to a likelihood of a stress fracture. And if you, especially in, if in your female athletes, you're not considering those red S metabolic factors effects. It's like, we're not, you know, people say, well, that's not philosophy. It's, I don't care. No, no one's implying that this is causal fault in philosophy to our practice. I'm, I'm just meaning that we're kind of, we should have matured as professionals to be recognizing that, this isn't just a case of, right, what is happening at a cellular level within that bone for it to have then not been able to deal with the forces that it's had, right? 
we should care about that stuff, but we should also care about some of the other factors because the same forces in the same sort of person and the same potential kinetic variables that someone else managed well, in part because they've not got, uh, they, you know, I'm not, here I'm projecting because I've got such tiny children, but you know they've not got kids keeping them awake. That means that they've compromised their sleep. That means that they've not maybe done as much with regards to their SNC that's then maybe affected their bone density or they're, they're stressed for other reasons that are complex. That means that they've then just had a systemic predisposition to or vulnerability to a stress reaction occurring. We kind of know that, don't we, as therapists, that that feels more comfortable. But all I'm all I'm describing then is that you go that that not, not even I was going to say a step further. That would be wrong. It's not. It's about just what are you nesting that information with it, right? What what ontological framework are you are you recognizing? Are they just stacks of blocks that when they meet a certain threshold it tells you a thing are they inclusion and exclusion criteria to help you to try and understand what trial it is that you think should be informing your treatment planning for this person um are you thinking categorically about the fact that oh that sounds familiar to, to qualify for x diagnosis or are you using that information to recognize that the only context of which that really needs to be applied is the person sat in front of you. And the, the fact that patterns emerge, you know, this is the really great point you made about the precision, essentially. That's like, how, of course, general S&C principles can, can often capture, and there's good reason sometimes for, for sometimes being a little bit less individualized, you could argue, right? This is the, the, one of the arguments against personalized medicine is that it can sometimes mean that people could um, think that that specificity is the key when actually some of the general principles work. You know, some of the things that can intimidate some patients about therapy, about self-management, is that well, they just seem to be such such a high-end expertise, and it got so tailored to my individual needs that I'm a bit daunted to do that myself. So they end up presenting to therapy. Um, instead of self-managing something, because they think that that individualized part of it was was everything. When, as you've described, the, the core principles could well have applied to them and, and got them to similar outcomes. So how much we need to be specific, how specific we need to be on every level of this analysis is a fascinating question and, and one that you're right to challenge me on. That probably I was making out that I'm always honing in on that real minutiae <laughs> when fundamentally, I mean, one of my favorite sort of cliche mantras is that you you, you treat the general things generally you the specific things specifically right it, it's no it, you're you're being overindulgent on yourself to sometimes imply that those real minutiae details are the center of that person's uh, recovery process those are the, those are the really key causally relevant pieces of information when it, it could well be that the appropriate level of, of sort of guidance reassurance and and, and to say no, you've got this on these general principles because you're otherwise in good shape. You know, sometimes that that is still very patient-centered care for me. Hmm. I'm very aware of the time and uh, been loving this conversation. I keep having it um, all day, but, I, but then I've also got to consider are people going to listen to it? Um, <laughs> I guess as a, as, a, as a final point, it's sort of an extension of, of um, where we've sort of been going with this. Um, have you sort of have you come across the concept uh, called wicked problems? I think so. No. 
So the the idea of a wicked problem is really a problem that has no perfect solution. So um, we think, and, and I think it's really, really, well, a lot of our discussion is centered around sport. Um, and sport's one of those sort of times where, yeah, the, the, the wicked problems come in a lot. So we think about uh, a wicked problem being uh, an injury recovery. You have uh, from an athlete, and the athlete's the star player or a very integral part or, or where I'm um, in the club that I work in uh, here in, in Canberra, um, we just have people that can't play. We just don't have a lineup of people that can play that position. So we have certain key players that if they fall, you know, you're pulling in someone who's like from, you know, the under 18s team to, to fill in at, you know, second grade. Um, so there's a sort of issue of, you know, we've got this person, he's got an injury. Are they ready to play? How long can they play for? Um, and you've got, you know, me as an SNC coach and a rehab coach, being there going, I don't think they're ready. You've got the um, coach sort of saying, well, we need them because we physically don't have someone else that can play this position at this level. You've got the the board member at the top um, sort of saying, well, we want to win. Um, so why aren't we putting our best players forward all the time? And why are we worried about these small details? And so you've got this, this essentially a wicked uh, a problem um, where you're not actually going to satisfy everyone. Because if I make that person go through that full rehab, that full SNC sort of program and get them back to where exactly I would want them to be before they play, um, the coach ain't going to be happy and, and the board's definitely not going to be happy. Um, if we find, uh, if we just play them all the time, they're going to get injured. Um, and then the player's not happy. Um, uh, really not happy that the ones have to live through that. You know, you can sort of start to see where it goes. And I guess when we're looking at um, cause health, we're looking at this sort of model, this sort of way that we're changing the way that we're looking at things. It's interesting because I see that sort of wicked problem and it comes from complexity, um, which is obviously what, what cause health is based in, um, is that the, the outcome is whatever choice that we make is is not he's not going to satisfy everyone and it's really going to be a that's where we sort of have all this you know having all our cards on the table as, as you sort of say and having all the information available to then make the best decision but then ultimately bringing the patient on board and bringing all the other stakeholders on board and trying to figure things out and, and where where we should go with this is an important part i guess sort of a, a long way of um getting getting around to, to a question for you is I mean, where where do you see this in, in clinical practice? Because I, I see this, you know, uh, as being quite relevant because, you know, you think about that hockey player, there might be a question of, do you want to play this hard, fast game? Do you want to be more cerebral? Uh, are you thinking about retiring? These are all sort of problems without a defined solution um, that involve their their impact. I'm, I'm looking to, to see what your thoughts would be. Yeah, I think that it's such a, such a lovely example of all the different layers and factors affecting performance as well as injury recovery that you've just described interestingly um you know it's not part of my biography that i described at the start of this show but my clinical background especially where i started my business was as a second opinion consultant going into semi-pro clubs to try and help solve those problems where there was a clash between say an in-house therapist 
with the management team, with the board, with the player himself, uh, just a lack of a lack of backup, often a sole therapist and things. So it's a fascinating thing that we've kind of come around to that because that I think what cause health means to me with regards to how it applies to clinical practice is I've given some examples of it on a fairly tight level, really. I think people could hopefully see some examples there as to why that might inform the way in which you go about assessment, how that might inform your reasoning process for treatment. But you've, you've landed probably where is more powerful for me, especially why I like to think in this direction, why it kind of lit the touch paper for me academically and why I've continued to pay attention to the project is because it's the first time that someone's really respected and recognised the social context in which someone might exist and the pressures that might be playing that are far beyond you know, the, the, the way in which they're, them as a biological entity, if you were to ever try to separate that. So where they are nested, right? You went as far as to say, like, the, the board want the best players on the pitch. It's like, well, why do they? Well, because they're in, that's the, that's the game they're in, that's the industry they're in, right? What are the market forces affecting their decision-making as to why that's particularly important? Why, why is sport culturally relevant to us as a society? What, what's good and bad about that, right? So, again, not for a second am I implying that that is the, you know, deep philosophical conundrum I put myself through with every patient, right? I'm not quite that insane. But I am meaning that as a project, it can go into the granular detail on mechanistic behaviors in, in, in clinical in, in clinic right but it can also recognize what's upstream of us all the time and, and, and again ground is in recognizing that because you can't for a second control all those features then it is about you know pursuing and, and, and confronting said wicked problem without without being so arrogant as to think that you're going to come to not just our solution but the, the solution and I think that there's within it, you know, if you want to, to indulge the, 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 the more philosophical parts of it, is that, you know, the, the critique of utilitarianism that this brings within our sector, you know, they, they get this idea of accruing, um, accruing an understanding of things and their consequences in such a way that we can know whether something is a net good or net, net, net drag. And, and that, that, that cumulative block stacking almost that I described earlier, it's, it, it's, it is more fundamentally... Um, complex and so complex in fact that really a, a version of deontological ethics needs to be applied relative to that stacking that can sometimes occur in a utilitarian model and I think that that is attractive for some frustrating for others I think there's definitely areas of say utilitarianism or or even somewhat separately empiricism that I think cause health would do a, could do a better job of answering to you know that's something that i've i've said before including publicly that there's there's areas there that i think it, it has been has been a bit of a shame as a project but um but you know generally when it comes to in clinical practice i, I think the thing i love most about it is that it can go it can go all the way in granular detail and it can then also assist us on that big picture stuff and helping us to recognize our own place and our own relationship and our own power dynamic with the patient in front of us and so i encourage all clinicians to recognize that instead of thinking what can this do for my clinical practice and thinking that much like a a better understanding of, of, of vectors would assist my um relationship with with exactly how likely the navicular might be to get a stress reaction you know, you can comprehend that as a clinical educator, right? I'm not averse to that stuff either. Let's get stuck into the physics some days too. But it's just that it's because it's not quite as crisp a line as that all the time, and that sometimes it's these wider 
wider factors and features and, and as I said the cultural overlay and context stuff it, it feels a little bit more nebulous but you know different points of it you know dabble with it and recognize that no matter how close um, to the cells you might be to the omics you might be as Core Health would say it doesn't matter where you are on that you've still there's still something that can inform it because it, it kind of is a bit of a you know, a challenge to our sort of base reality for want of a better term and I think that's one of the things that I've most enjoyed about it and why I'm most passionate about making sure that people do give it a try because there is something in there for everyone uh, regardless of when and it might not be the right time for you but you know I, I most people say um, I've not had anyone that said that um, you know when I've tried to put them onto this stuff they've turned around and said not only is it not for me now it's never for me right usually they kind of come back around I didn't really get it initially first pass and then had a couple of patients in this direction or or there was this circumstance that happened to me or I had a leadership role that made me realize you know what was happening in my department when people were trying to aspire to a narrow sense of empiricism uh, that made me then the penny drop for me to, to help guide them as to why you can still um, respect and nest that evidence within a wider reasoning framework you know so it, so it took for a non-clinical example for people to realize it and so whatever your route is towards it then i would say that there is there is something there for you and the, the, the course health project has has we, we've been so we have been so lucky for how close it has been to our clinical area and that, that is you know a hell of a hell of an opportunity because this as a philosophical project is, is something that could well have e easily passed us by and many do you know there's many good people good philosophers of science that end up going to medicine going to surgery, trying to understand those big picture risk factor decision-making on serious pathology, for example, where, you know, of course it, it makes sense when you've got real life trolley problems in oncology, you can understand why philosophers indulge that work and it's great work. So for us to have had this, that's then encountered our real, our, our reality clinically, like, you know, even if you, even if you, you, you can't see yourself being a, a super fan of it, like me and you are, then uh, you know, I, I hope that people do recognise just how lucky we've been for it to pass us so close. Mm. Well, I think I think that's a it's a good bit of bit of context for for um, for everyone is that yeah, Cause Health was really created because it, you know there was that meeting of the minds of you know a physiotherapist uh, with a philosopher and and seeing the 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 overlap. But I think it's also the case that that Cause Health has really gone out to try and make things relevant, easy to digest, relatable to clinic. That's ultimately what this sort of, why I started this project as well, is we sort of went, you know, I've got these, these people that are, that are willing to help me and, and help everyone understand this a bit more. And we very much could have um, missed out um, because there's, there's, I think Rani has something like over 5,000 um, philosophers on Twitter um, alone and just sort of, she's had to start separate accounts or some way to keep sort of tracking them all. When you think about how many of those people with different ways they could be thinking, different ways we could be approaching problems could really help. But I mean, yeah, the, the big issue is always translation, making it relevant. Um, and, I, and I definitely see a lot of clinicians go very far into these sort of far-flung fields to, to get information and I'd never knock that. Um, but it's it's applicability and how we sort of bring it back and make it relevant to to our patients, how we make it relevant to clinicians wider, you know, for them to consider as well is is always very important. And I think that's mm -hmm. that's often what's missing and what I've loved about what I've loved about Cause Health. I think as well, it's it's quite a grounding thing when our patients when it comes to working out how specific to be or or just how how um you know how how much 
when people pursue an academic pursuit of, of say learning something new or learning something more or going into more detail or what have you is that pain has been quite a leveler for me in that recognizing that because it ends up being that the, the best analysis we have at the moment is that it's damn complex and there's lots of features and factors that affect it and that the context really matters and stuff and that we our, our study of exactly what the neuron is or the brain is is not going to get us there it helps us to to realize that you know you you that it's not right to dismiss um all the other wider factors and features as being just peripheral or accessory to the real stuff and that um you know that the, the the irony of it being called say hard or soft sciences is just something that then gets melt it melts away under a bar better understanding of often the key symptom that our patients present with which is which is often pain and i think that that's one one of the things that to that specificity point is that one of the reasons why you might be general or might be specific is based on just how, what, what is required to help that person to alleviate some other symptoms namely pain that we know is complex by 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 our current analysis I think that's a wonderful point to leave it. I've lost track of, of how long we've been talking, but I think it's, we've, it's yeah. been a while. And yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's flown by though. Thank you so much for, for a great conversation. No, no, thank, thank you for coming on board and, and supporting uh, what we're trying to do. And, and um, yeah, just a wonderful conversation that really uh, presented, I think, a new side of, course health and how we can apply this to the clinic and our thinking and, and hopefully uh, everyone has gotten a lot out of it oh, brilliant yeah thanks a lot and thanks for thanks for listening i don't know how long you've been on uh, but yeah if you've stuck around and i hope we've made it worthwhile for you for those who've made it to the end thank you for joining us and a um, big thank you to jack chu for coming on board and talking about his experience and uh, expertise if you want to follow Jack uh, on social media, he's at Jack A. Chu, spelled C-H-E-W on Twitter. Uh, I highly encourage you to go and follow him. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, or you want to hear Jack talk about uh, other uh, musculoskeletal related topics, I highly recommend you check out his podcast, Physio Matters. Uh, if you want more general education uh, as well about mus musculoskeletal conditions, uh, Jack also runs the Therapy Live uh, online conference. It's free if you're joining in live, but you can also purchase recordings uh, online. It's a fantastic conference, some huge, huge names, and uh, it's available, like I said, if you watch it live for free. And if you want to see more about Jack's advocacy or want to look at what high-quality evidence-based advocacy for musculoskeletal conditions look like, um, his uh, business uh, or lobby group, I should say, MSK Reform, is well worth checking out. Thanks, guys.